0: Drago, Rocky, it just encapsulates yeah. both. It's like you need both environments. I think you need clinical, efficient training environments, but you also need places where you can mimic nature and, and, and feel danger and have that challenge in other ways too. And you need both.
1: That was Paul Cater, and you're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. <laughs> If you're a coach looking for an awesome training portal to distribute and track workouts for athletes online or in person, then you can get a free 30-day trial of TeamBuilder software by heading to teambuilder.com and using the code JUSTFLY. See what TeamBuilder can do for you and sign up for that free trial today using the code JUSTFLY. Today's podcast is sponsored by the PlyoMat. The PlyoMat is not only an incredible vertical jump and reactive strength index uh, testing device, but it also is an incredible training device. The plyomet not only allows single response jumps, but also the chaining of multiple mats together. So you can use it for bounding multiple series of hurdle hops. You can get not only height, but reactive strength for a multi-jump situation. It's an incredible, again, testing and training tool. And you can learn more at plyomat.net. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I'm excited to welcome to the show my friend and mentor, Paul Cater. Paul is a strength coach with international experience, having worked in Spain, in London, and then also in the United States in professional sports, having spent a great amount of years with the Baltimore Orioles and recently with the Los Angeles Angels. He's worked in the private sector with athletes of all ages and movement practices, and currently he is designing the Lab Monterey, a smart gym uh, in Central California. On the show today, Paul will be discussing how he drives engagement and leverages natural learning in the training session, and how the role of mimicry, challenge, and rhythmic expression can drive not only better movement quality and flow states, but also lead to better performance outputs. If we discuss the art aspect of coaching, Paul's philosophy needs to be one that we're all familiar with. I'm excited to get this episode going, so let's get to it here, episode 400 with Coach Paul Cater. Paul, you sent me this really cool, I mean, I'd seen this stuff before, you know, like the the Slavic dancing, like it's basically like the pistol squat dancing mm-hmm. that the like originated in Russia or whatnot. And I, it's funny because like, you'll see the dance, you'll see the person doing the like the, ex, the pistol squat exchanges, which I feel mm-hmm. like is just butchering mm-hmm. the movement in a horrible way. But like this video, and I'll put it in the show notes, like there's so much more than that. They're like spinning around, doing like side to side stuff. It's all the music, internal and external rotation. And so, you know, and you had mentioned a little bit about how your process was influenced by things like that. I'm curious, and obviously dancing and training all in one thing. Um, tell me a little bit about what you think about that type of, um, I guess I could just call it movement, for lack of a better word. How does that uh, work into your training? What,
0: what do you mean, dance? No, joking. I, I think um, culture, if you look at any culture, it's it's the basis of that. Culture is ex- is expressed through dance. Okay, I don't care what culture it is, whether it's the Maasai warrior tribe, whether it's mm. the S- Russian dancers, whether it's flamenco dancers. And to really understand a culture, you have to really understand their dancing culture and their music integration. And um, I I I look at every athlete as not not genetically necessarily where where they're from, or their skin colors are. Ethnic backgrounds is, but you you're looking at the whole uh, progression of where they've come from and how they move. And I believe right now in America we're establishing a culture that's um, devoid of some of identity and basic movement patterns that are are that come from everything from the music we listen to to the uh, the memorization processes that they're learning for sport things like that so um my goal yeah is to uh, integrate and you know make i'm looking at movement as a dance especially in the if you look at the first 15 minutes of any session how, how you know how can we create athletes that are great movers who are rhythmically inclined great anticipators um you know can understand variables and move and handle load and all these things like this uh in in an effortless flow so i think that's the end game of really any coach is to have their athletes be almost like dancers out in the field you know
1: yeah um i actually this kind of leads into another point that we had looked to touch on but the role of like technology. It's so interesting with your gym or people have seen what you you do. Oh, I do have to just quickly say, yeah, the Maasai warrior, uh, the jumping might've been another. Oh, I mean, because yeah. everyone knows like the Russian dance, your arms across your chest, mm-hmm. and you're doing the pistol thing. But the, <laughs> but the, uh, the Maasai warrior, like when they're doing it, I think that what people also don't maybe maybe to a lot of people it's just telling in the background they don't really notice, but they're they're doing like this kind of chant. It's it's not it doesn't exist. No. The side Warrior jumping doesn't exist without the chant, the music and the culture that goes behind that. And yeah, like you said, I think that we we just look at the jump. We don't look at like the dance and the culture that kind of goes into it. Or the the Russian like um I yeah. feel bad. I don't know the name, that cultural name of the dance that they do, but it's the same thing. There's, there's music behind it, and there's a cultural overlay behind it, and yeah, we, yeah, we just don't well, do a, there,
0: that. Usually, there's a usually there's a, a deeper reason why. I and mean, we look at capoeira, yeah, in the Brazilian culture. You look at these expressions of dance; they're often with fighting. So the like the Russian dance, there's the soldiers that were doing that, and then you look at these warrior class that are integrated with dancing and it's funny. Cause I, you know, I, I, when I lived in London, I'd go to the ballet every year. And now I try to keep that tradition and my little daughters in ballet, but, um, the whole idea that, you know, you even look at the nutcracker. So that, that was the first, uh, example of my life kind of like, Oh wow. This is like, it's a fight, you know, dancing is really ingrained in battle and, I think sport in general too. You're 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 mimicking other people's movements. Um, you're mirroring movements. You look at defenders. Look at the look at the defensive back and, an, and a uh, mm-hmm. wide receiver. So if you're in, in, in a, and I put now I have two little daughters. You know I've coached a lot of uh, female athletes in development, but when you get into the male dominant realm, it you it's really hard to, you know, a minor league baseball system. If you talk in these terms of, of mimicry, of mirroring, of rhythm, uh, you, y- you looked at as you're cra- if you're crazy, but if we go back to origins of, of dance, of rhythm in a corporate setting, it is, it is tribal. It is a battle. We I mean, look at some like, you know, look at a uh, Pacific Islander culture, you know, you, you're, you're looking at uh warrior culture class doing coordinated rhythmic dance before battle and i've seen it professional sure, yeah, firsthand first hand you know i had never seen rugby before next thing i know i'm watching you, you know new zealand do this yeah. um, the haka before so things like that so that's how i look i guess if you want to enter into this podcast through this conversation with my training methods and people ask me what's your philosophy i think that's mm-hmm. that's a big deal about it is how do we in, incorporate rhythm into force production? Mm, yeah. And into corporate or and into intuitive and handing different variables as you see in battle in or in a fight. So those that's the contents we look at in training. And I think that's where we you and I really groove and have talked a lot about. Yeah. But it's always hard to put into words. And it's whole, especially in a strength conditioning culture where everything's excel sheets. And, you, you know, sh- strict, rigid cultural norms. Yeah, But it with, takes us to get out of those. Anyway, yeah, sorry. You just cut me off anytime.
1: I know I ramble. Uh, no, I, yeah, I, I have a bad habit of, I think, just mm-hmm. having a thought and be like, oh, I got to say this <laughs> before I like forget it or something, not like I'm yeah, going to, yeah, but this yeah. popped in my head a little bit ago was, I, I think kind of maybe, maybe like you were saying, like we ultimately, what does everyone want? Well, what are the sets? What are the reps? What are the exercises? But before all that, there's a culture and even things like just sport, like basketball, right? It's like a, you walk into a gym and I just think about just walking into open gyms when I was a teenager. And what do you hear? You hear the beat of all these basketballs bouncing around. There's something yeah, that's- shoes. Yeah, exactly. And I, again, I think we we think about that only with, okay, what's the what's the plays or, you know, what's the setups? What are the drills- mm-hmm. But there is something that is, that, that is cultural beyond that. And I think there's sounds to it. And I, I kind of feel like, too, I'm, I, you, if you have a gym, you have a training space. What do people think of when they enter that space? What do they feel when they enter that space? What are they expecting? Um, I think that those are, those are things to think about with what the total training package is.
0: 100%. It's, uh, I took a class. It, 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 so, at UC Davis, a little of my history, I played football there. I was a rhetoric and communication major before they cut off rhetoric and this Mm -hmm. was a communication and a a history major first and foremost, it was later that I got my master's and now currently working on my PhD in in exercise science. But I, um, so I learned, you know, I learned through like a a pre-law visual and one of the classes I took was called, you know, the rhetoric of architecture. So you're looking at every building that's built has a, has a, has a message that the architect is trying to to design. And yeah, so I've I've this, I'm on my fifth gym. Um, I'm building out this this gym to be kind of the uh hopefully the final project. <laughs> but um yeah, there's there's a rhetorical message with everything. And it, you know, every strength coach knows, you, you know, you certain things go here, you know, the NSCA, you gotta have certain safety, you know, walkways and you can't have mirrors low enough so you the weights hit, you know, stuff like that, logistical safety issues. But when you're talking about What's the first sense that you get when you walk in the in the door, and how do you create that on a daily basis? How do you usher in a an athlete into the what I believe is the five minute adaptation point within a session? I mean that 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 has everything to do with the sight, the sm- the smell, you know, the the, the 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 beat, the rhythm. How do you how do you gather whoever's in the building into a place of of adaptation that we're looking for, so yeah, hundred percent.
1: Yeah, it's and it's almost in in some ways. And I know I think we talked about this on the last podcast in terms of how the training unfolds. There's you do have like a meat and potatoes at the end of training sessions, like like all right, here's the weightlifting, and there I think there usually is sets and reps assigned. But that's that's only a small chunk, and the whole lead up uh, to that is a little bit more organic. And I know something I was going to ask it was okay, well. How, tell me exactly, you know, it's like asking a musician, tell me about your creative process, right? But I think mm-hmm. you just mentioned it, that a lot of it starts with things that just aren't often thought about with like, you know, the environment. Like what, what does the athlete feel when they walk in the door? What does the environment say to them? And how does that environment um, help you to start to understand, to feel what direction to take the training with more of that like rhythmic piece before they get to the I guess the, the tip, more typical meat and potatoes and sets and wraps.
0: Yeah. So, I th- you know, I, like you said, m- music is huge. I, I, I did uh, my first postgraduate, uh, it was called a graduate diploma. Well, I was doing my master's and then I uh, got a graduate diploma <laughs> Excuse me, at, at Brunel University. Anyway, some of the first research with music um, was done there and in, in within distance running and how that, you know, how music affected running performance. And that was really interesting. That was on the lead up to the London Olympics and they were doing some great stuff with cycling as well. Um, but so that, that, that's a, that's a big thing. I think you want to, you want to engage, you want to engage quickly, but, uh, a big part of with, with all my athlete populations is I want to, um, I want to have them enter into a challenge, phase and I, I I base a lot of my training philosophies on two neuro um you know cognitive processes which one is a transactional model of stress and coping and working having athletes uh especially younger athletes ex re- be readily more readily able to accept challenges as rather than seeing things as threats and um or being actually just not a route at all so Offering enough, like the right amount of noise, the right, uh, environment when you come in to be challenged, not threatened and see their, see like a, as a growth and gain a master and mastery, you know, for an outcome where you really engage people. And this goes for whether it's a Navy SEAL or, or 12 year old or a pro athlete, you know, are they going to be challenged and can they, can they grow from that challenge? But also, um. I quickly go then from then into more of the the mimicry, and and uh, some of the, some of the processes that happen with with l- learning in the motor motor skills that are observed in birdsong, and re- really a, a lot of a lot of the speech and and b- fine motor skills are in a certain you know the basal ganglia, the corti- cortico basal ganglia complex that is where where you know birds are observed to mimic songs where kids are, are learning, learning language. And that there's an associated rhythmic motor, uh, motor sensory uh, component. So I want to be able to a challenge, uh, but also have, and have a appropriate stress there, but also start to engage the deeper, uh, motor, motor skill patterning. That's more like, uh, not, not as an overt thing, but more, um, involuntary. Contraction, so to speak. So, those two things are very important when someone walks in the door and that carries through the whole session. And of course, that depends on the groups and whatever. But, mm-hmm. um, and really that, you know, what's funny because music can do that and the opening salvo of exercises can do that on both levels. Yeah. Okay. And maybe that is, it's a, you know, you're engaging an athlete again. I have people from six to 60 coming in and one day I could be working with all these different people, but you may be doing the same session with all of them. You might change the music for every one of them. Um, yeah. Or, or, or the simple, the, the simple buy-in uh, warm up exercises. So I guess in summary, yeah, it's the first 15 minutes whereby you're challenging them. You're initiating rhythm process and then you're, dosing the right amount of force for that within those rhythms to build into the main like a series or b series you know the main strength outcome you want and that's the process every day you know or orchestrated
1: yeah um i had a couple thoughts to follow up with that one thing actually this this popped in my head and mm-hmm. this goes a little bit my mind was jumping a little mm-hmm. bit back to what you saw at the Maasai and it was the thing with mm-hmm. the russian dance but it was um there was a video it was like break dancers versus gymnasts. And I know gymnasts do, you know, musical routines as well, but the majority of mm-hmm. gymnast work is a little bit more, maybe it's more rudimentary, you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have a massive amount of experience. I mean, I've I've messed around with breakdancing type stuff and done some of the moves especially in high school and it was actually really I think it was actually a helpful part of my physical development back then. Not that I ever got to like a high mastery level. I could never do mm-hmm. flares or anything like the, there's all these moves I wanted to do but couldn't quite get, but mm-hmm. I in that video, at least our video I saw, and I'll put it in the show notes. Like, I mean, breakdances, Anyone who's seen breakdancing, I mean, these these individuals can. They've reached a pretty high level of athleticism in what they do, and it's it's funny because it's it's just cultural, it's musical, it's community based, yeah. yeah. and you would think how good could they have gotten if it was just practicing moves you know in your basement or something with no music and you know you didn't have all this cultural this culture to bring Mm. you to whatever level and i'm sure there's probably a story of someone who learned all the moves in their basement but there's still like the music and there's still like so Mm. much that goes with that and i think there's something that's really unique to that and so but that kind of had got me sidetracked a little bit i was thinking about that just for the power of of culture and music into a physical quality and a physical ability i guess that's maybe a little bit more where I was headed with that, but I think a lot of times with some of these things, and I know this is true for me. I'd be curious what your thought is on this, but mm. I find I in motor learning, like there's they talk about attractors and fluctuators. And I feel like the further you mm. get into some of the language there, sometimes it can feel like you're really far away from training. <laughs> uh but an attractor yeah. for me is it's almost like those pieces like you go to to start the creative process. Like maybe it is like the speed ladder. Maybe it's, Hey, I, I got these, like a lot of times for me, it's, Hey, I got these plyo boxes and and maybe we'll hurdle them. Maybe we'll chase over them. Maybe we'll do bounding over them. Yeah. Um, yeah. what are some like key pieces that you generally like to start with that can get you, all right, Hey, this is working. Let's go to this next piece here. Uh, tell me a little yep. bit about some of those, those attractors that. Hoffman, yeah, the spearhead, the opening salvo. I, Tell you about the opening salvo. I
0: yeah, like the the opening salvo, the, the opening, the haka. you so <laughs> you there's got there has to be a challenge, and I go back to the challenge element. There has to be a, a, a I go to these two things: challenge and mimicry. Okay, and even in a bird, and I go back to the bird example is that the birds are often mimicking. They hear a sound and they mimic it, and then they vary it. They're communicating, right? I mean, it's usually like a br- a mating thing, or maybe it's a it's you know there's some sort of interaction, there's some sort of transaction happening. And if you if you look at the first opening salvo, or even like okay, let's look use the haka. I know it's kind of completely different, but there's a transaction between the English rugby team and the the New Zealand mm-hmm. the, the Kiwi rugby team. There's there's a, so if you look at what's the transaction that's happening in the footwork ladder so to speak, or whatever the, the, the con, whatever the, the vehicle is to deliver this. It could be footwork ladders. It could be w- whatever. It could be a game or something like that. But I look at the, the challenge and then the mimicry. And if you can initiate a students or an athletes, uh, any of any age mimic mimicry response, the motor learning and le- happens ver- a lot quicker versus memorize a drill memorize a warm-up check that off the list <clears throat> and 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 so I, the way I do that is by if you can literally start to match your beat downbeat timings with a music selection I put in within the ladder you're getting those two things it, because if you do it in a peer group you're there's a visual of you trying to do that and and of course I'll do it in a safe way which it doesn't make the student feel super vulnerable unless it's somebody i really want to break down who's mega confident and can handle that but so you 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 add elements of okay let's do on the downbeat of this song i want you first i want you to match the rhythm of the footwork ladder drill and i want you to go into that single leg like you know whatever knee, deep knee bend on the downbeat of the song and it it really it accomplishes so many things for me so quickly. And that's how I view the warm-up. And that's how I view ladders and things like that. It's like, you're, or let's say a basketball player, using BOSU, ball, whatever it may be. It's like, can you mirror somebody? Can you match rhythms? Yeah. And then obviously your body heat's going to r- rise. But it's completely opposite to a memorized rollout and active dynamic. I, I've completely ditched active dynamic warm-ups you know i'd maybe do them 1% of out of 100 sessions one time yeah the- but that's that's it's just it's inefficient to me it burns so much time when i don't have time with athletes anymore and that's really the model and uh, if we can talk on a bigger context of you know why this matters like what's what you know why does this matter is because strength coaches will have less and less time with athletes outside of a hyper managed like just managing yeah, I don't even know what to call it, but it, there's less and less coaching that's going to happen for a strength coach. So when you do have it, it has to be very effective and, and you have to condense time all, very quickly. So I don't know if that answers your question per se, but it's that's how I, if, if I could take one example, it would be choosing a song, mimicking beats and rhythms within a mechanical a drill with peers
1: yeah um you had so, mimicry when you started what you you had said mimicry and there was one other theme i i've, I've i had something to say uh, about mimicry but i was trying to remember the other um challenge oh challenge so, yeah, that's right
0: so and that and that really approaches the two different uh psychol- psychology and and i don't know i guess neuromuscular adaptation um you know neuroscience, let's call, mm. call it. You know, that everyone's listening to Huberman and all these guys is <laughs> mm. uh, even Goggins becoming a neuroscientist yeah. <laughs> and learning, you know. So, no, but I respect that because it's you know, it's it's great, it's opening doors for to understand this stuff. But I, I, I look at those, you know, I was reflecting on my philosophies and I was okay, so what is it? And it's like those two things really channel my first. 15 minutes of every of every session and then the rest i I hate to say it is going to be automated by ai and and the technology i mean that's the future in, in my opinion you know 10 years ago i took pride in oh i could teach power clean great you know all this sort of thing but now it's like what's the future of strength coaching and i think through the course of this conversation, in the back of my mind is really what is the role of a strength coach going forward?
1: Yeah, that's uh, the challenge makes so much sense as well. Because yeah, mimicry and challenge. It's like you know, it's almost like you could call it being an I mean, it's probably not great to put labels on things, but for people's understanding, it's almost like you're an athleticism dance. <laughs> it's a it's a well, dance of at, athleticism. At if you go dance. to dance class.
0: Back to breakdance, and, and I was going to say I, I took a breakdancing class in, in college actually, an elective or like, you know, you don't get credit, but I mean, I, you know, I went every week, twice a week or something like that. I learned, I learned all the, the four pillars of hip hop mm-hmm. and the, you know, all the, all the things, but it's, there's a challenge element. And that's what break dancing is, right? It was like one guy would go, the next guy would go, <laughs> excuse me. And then, so it was interesting, especially cause you're, you're matching music, but you're, you're getting, it was the first time I understood like getting down, Versus like all these outputs going up, and yeah, that's that's kind of been. And I hate to, It's in a weird way. That's like set the course of my training, like mm. life, the last twenty five years or twenty three years, whatever. I graduated two thousand, um, but learning how to decel, like re- eccentric r- rates, force production has been like I would consider my forte. Okay. And that's what weirdly led me into like flywheel training cuz like you're you're dealing with high rates of eccentric force development and you're learning it in a rhythmic capacity. So you're learning how to handle force in rhythm and there's this weird kind of like breakdancing battle about it where one guy goes, the next guy goes, I don't know, it's 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 dance to me. It really is, and and that's now what I see is the missing link in all these athletes is they become more and more robotic. There's more and more data. There's more, and the co- coaches aren't art artists or teaching movement anymore. They, it's that's kind of outsourced, and, they, and really, what people are going to be interviewing for are just being weight room managers. And all you got to do is yell a bit, or you know, the good the guys who are really motivating will become you know football guys, and the rest. You know so um yeah I, I i see this as a conversation around that that you know so w- what do i have to offer to anybody listening to this stuff yeah
1: i think that'll naturally yeah. lead us into like the data and how can ai or technology what role does that mm-hmm. play you had an awesome post with that i want to save that i'm actually have it like in the corner of my note sheet because i think this will lead into that really well uh, i do want yep. to touch on the mimicry as well though and even mm-hmm. like it will even break dancing, it's a battle, right? One guy goes and then there's a response. Yeah. Like, it's like we're wired yep. for that. If we just look at, yeah, hip hop, like, or even like rap battles, right? It's like there's mm-hmm. this wiring for like that, that, that interplay and in, like basketball and downbeats. And so, um, I did actually want to get into the, yeah, the, cause we were having a conversation about the upbeats and downbeats. I do want to get uh, into that, mm-hmm. but just like the mimicry stuff, I, all this to me and, and my whole, so much of my, um, athletic and coaching career has been trying to figure out those things and I've mentioned this on this podcast before but those things that when you play a pickup game of basketball and you can jump so high at the end of that and then you go and do like you know some traditional 15-minute warm-up and here's the dynamic stretches and here's this and here's that and you you can't get within two or three inches of what you could after you play that basketball game. So what yeah. is it about that basketball game, you know? And 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 there is that like that mimicry and that just the social and the cultural, like I mentioned, like even like yeah, I hear those balls bouncing on the ground and I hear the noise and the everything that goes with the game and there's the competition, obviously. And but but in basketball mm-hmm. too, and this kind of leads me well, I'll just say this quickly, is that with the mimicry you know, everyone's like, all right, well, what's the bottom line? What's the output? I just had a high jump practice the other day. And the first day we introduced just some mimicry games as part of the warm up. Just like, you know, we don't have a basketball there, but let's warm up with games that invoke that. I had a girl set a lifetime best in practice. And like, mm-hmm. it does right. matter. It does get your system going to a higher level because ultimately that's what we want. Right. But we also want to have fun along the way. Like the sayings, like There's- it's about the journey, not necessarily you do the journey. Right. And the results will take care of it themselves.
0: I, I attribute that to um, there's inhibitors when there's over, like there's, there's analytic processes and some are more prone to it than others. Like the whole paralysis by analysis. That's why for me, I played college football as a, as a linebacker kind of safety weak side guy. Um, but I was always better on offense. Okay. A, I learned the game on offense. Um, but for whatever reason my brain was wired like i didn't have in retrospect i just didn't have a inhibition to, to go just fly and make tackles and anticipate things i was trying to learn a system like i maybe you know it's no no coach's fault i i, I was there was a bi- deeper fear in me of making mistakes and trying to memorize things and or memorize plays instead of just playing. Partly I, I attribute that just because I learned football through an offensive scheme scheme. But I I think when in a general sense, if we teach athletes or young athletes to, to memorize drills or plays, we, we take out that creative inhibition that we, we talk about it with running too. You're trying to memorize running strides and patterns. And it's like it's it's either not your identity and your genetic profile. Like I'm five, nine. If w- when I, when I stopped trying to run, uh, like I was six, five, at like f- uh, 400, 800 meter runner. Like I, I stopped injuring myself and I got, got back to accelerating even like at age 40. It was like a lot of, I attribute to you and a dairy bar is like relearning my like natural pathways of like movement. It's like, Oh, okay. This makes a lot more sense. <laughs> but I think that's, that's what I'm trying to say. It's like we, if we create these creative, creative license to move and to compete and to mimic, instead of just trying to scale these drills and warm up, especially in warm up. And so many coaches write the warm up off. That's like when they're having their coffee or like, you know, getting, getting, setting up the weight racks. That's like almost the, that's the most important time that we can embed and code these rhythmic, competitive movement patterning things so yeah yeah there's the the pickup games the pickup games you know like that's just that's where kids learn and perform you know
1: today's podcast is brought to you by lost empire herbs you can save 15% off of my favorite products with lost empire herbs by heading to lostempireherbscom slash just fly. Use the code Joel15. Lost Empire Herbs is a go-to of mine for supplementation. And looking at the principles, the patterns in nature is such a a profound, a powerful um, observing a starting point for me in my training. And I've taken that over into supplementation, or my choice of supplementation. As Lost Empire Herbs has harnessed the power of nature, getting things with such minimal processing and such a rich history in Chinese medicine uh, for helping you to improve your vitality, energy, uh, and even strength through their products, uh, things such as Chili Egypt, the Phoenix Formula, and so much more. Head to lostempireherbs.com slash justflytoday and check out some of my favorite herbs, and there you can get, again, 15% off your order. Yeah, it's almost like in some sense, there's almost like that, hey, I'll be a pickup game facilitator of, of sorts. Pick up mini games, mini pickup games throughout the session.
0: Uh that's my new that, job title. That's gonna <laughs> mini that's pickup gonna come, game well, facilitator. <laughs> yeah, I've we can talk about this later when we talk about the tech stuff, but I I yeah, I that's really the role. Of, that's really a, a, a big part of the role of, of a coach. Okay, that's really a big part is to get the heck out of the way. And a lot of the a lot of your guests on your show, you talked about that, has talked about okay doing less. You know, getting out of the way so these these kids and and, and as a whole youth development is it goes the other way. And I, and I'm I've been on both sides now, trying to monetize a gym, trying to scale, trying to. But I've also been on the professional sports side where you don't have to do any marketing or scaling and in, in that you have your athletes. And I tell you, once you start to try to make money and try to get more bodies in, you need to format things and you need to, and it, it immediately dumbs down uh, the process for, for, for youth, especially when you, when parents, other coaches are, you're trying to please them. And man, it, it is a quick downward spiral into robot, robotic children who ultimately get could get injured. They can't get it in and out of positions of problems. And also a lot of our colleagues and people we know and respect are going through that like nonconformity cycle in their in their careers where they're basically saying screw the system, I'm a nonconformist. They've gone through their professional jobs or college jobs. Now they're on their own and they're getting this cr- massive like rush of creative license, you know. And it's indicative a lot of a lot of coaches are, are like yeah, like part of the gym. Okay, part of the traditional strength coaches' gym is to inspire a little fear that there is a like when you're coming in. This isn't just romper room, yeah. That and that's the fine line. You want to give structure. You want to challenge, but you also want to create a a ton of freedom to create to discover movement to to do all these things. And that's the real. The nuance of, I think, running yeah. any facility or weight room. Yeah. How do you, how do you re establish control and authority and challenge, but also have natural mimicry and movement yeah. and re- looseness in, in, in it all? And there's not a fear based culture. That, and that's essentially the issue is like if you're creating fear based systems that are highly rigid, that are highly scalable uh that maybe uh, gms want or that ownership wants you're gonna have less you know you're gonna have more that le- the outcomes aren't gonna be as great and you're gonna have more injuries
1: yeah it's interesting so, it's interesting to think of in the sense of i guess you could say that i i just had an email talking about like you know futsal in the like the favelas of brazil mm-hmm. like the, these all mm-hmm. these like games organically that can mm. cultivate elite competitors and elite ability and then well how do you a, a, and Daniel Coyle in like the little book of talent talking about if your facilities are too nice it almost mm. like gives you that mm. internal sense like oh you've made it you're good you know versus like I guess Rocky yes. right the Rocky archetype that sits in all of us and so it's I think well, the the thought is and and you know you could say strength and conditioning in a professional setting or whatnot. you know maybe there's mm-hmm. a different role that versus hey this is we're bringing up you know youth development movement or even you know high school or mm-hmm. university or whatever um you had mentioned too working with a variety of age ranges yeah. um so i yeah, i'm i'd imagine like mm-hmm. what it is interesting to think of what people want in the pro you know the pro space versus hey i i'm a high school athlete i i, I really want to be as good as i can be Um, you know, what do you got for me, Paul? Like, and so I I suppose there's things to consider there, but that's just the trick, isn't it? And I know for you, I think you've mentioned this, that some of the best sessions that you've ever had are like out of the garage gym, right? Like two or three people, you know, stuff like that.
0: So a couple of things come up, uh, in mind a, I'm in a, probably the nicest golf training facility in the world. And I, I don't, I'm not exact. (laughs) I'm not exaggerating that. Um, people are going to come from all over the world to train golf here. So the challenges with the young golf teams, the, uh, in that culture um, who, you know, for me, I'm not, I'm not part of the golf culture growing up. I respect it. I know the golf rules and stuff like that. And I, I can be around a country club, but I, I think part of the thing I bring to this, this culture at the lab in Monterey is where, uh, you, you know, a little, you have to have a little bit of that grit that edge and that you know kids can have some a little more structure than they're used to as, as opposed to doing anything they want and having every resource i think when you have if you have resources abundant never having the challenge uh then you're you're not going to have you know you, you have to almost manufacture it yeah and that might be a, a socioeconomic thing but yeah i i i spent early things in barcelona playing soccer in the street with kids and i'm thinking wow you know these guys are able to play ch- uh you know play against each other in the church courtyard in tiny spaces and then no wonder why the american soccer uh industrial complex or whatever you want to call it, complexes you know it, abundant fields abundant resources they're never going to hold a candle to the to the to the cultures that are playing in this in the tiny street corners you know and who, who, you know, stuff like that. So th- those are two examples. I think, um, yeah, and the garage gym. I think, he, 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 you know, I, I assume, you know, I also think of like the college weight room, super nice. I mean, the best facilities they are just ama- a- a- amazing, but half the machines don't get you, you know, all these resources are just, these guys are not spoiled, but whatever. Uh, but so you have to manufacture it with strength coaches and intensity and wearing chain, like doing all this crazy stuff to bake in the uh the grit factor um or whatever or or get a navy seal team to come have you run with a log in the beach or something like that yeah (laughs) but yeah for for myself yeah the garage gym i think that's so important for any strength coach uh you know i don't know about athletes per se but to have a a sanctum a, a place to get back to the basics of the, the barbell or the grit factor or whatever. I mean, I my my garage gym is pretty highly technical.
1: Yeah, yeah. As far as your garage gyms go, <laughs> yeah. Yours, yours is uh you have some nice tools there, but it's still like authentic. Yeah, feel. two.
0: The, the 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 mountain garage gym is logs and a bar, and I wanted it mm-hmm. to be as cold and as rough as as heck. Because when I come <laughs> back down to the my current location in Monterey, I have every tool available. So it's like okay, the contrast is super important for me to. To not to lose track, but yeah, those, those those are some things that come to mind. But yeah, the favelas, kids playing soccer in the streets, lifting in cold garages in the in the mountains. I mean, we need these elements, you know. Or maybe the the, the you know the football team, the, the elite power five football team needs the strength coach that's going to do some like crazy things to enable uh, or in spark that grit factor.
1: Yeah. You know, I don't know. You you know, it could be said, like, I'd be curious, like, the robustness or the quality, you could say, the quality of a country's sport development system or or the type of athletes mm -hmm. that come out of it Mm -hmm. could be linked to how the children play. You know, like you said, like, because it's different. Mm -hmm. Like, what, like a, a first world country, the kids have it all. What does their play look like compared to a country that maybe like soccer, let's say soccer is a huge part of the culture, but they have nothing. You know, like, what, What does the player at the very
0: very least you need to understand it? So you need to understand where that culture, that person, that kid, whatever the team is coming from. And that will really dictate in the nuance of in the rhetoric and the music of what you need to and spark those two things the challenge and the mimicry. And that changes by hour. Yeah. I mean, I, I have kids bust in from one of the Best private schools in the nation who are or they're rolling in on their in their G wagons when they're 16. And it's like, okay, this might be different than the kids deeper in Salinas who I mean, I have a kid who just got signed to Cal who took the bus an hour to come train with me and paid, and his parents paid the top dollar versus the team that's comped getting driving in on their on in in, in their Mercedes on their own, you know, when they're 16. Who's coming? Who's living in Dubai or whatever? Coming from so it's you got to really. I think that's a huge part of it. Every athlete and their subpopulation has a collective experience that you that are coming into the training environment, and, and we just at least have to know it and and be kind of culturally aware. I suppose that's where the whole diversity. That's what it means to me. You know, is is just being is this being aware, and that comes when you travel. That comes when you learn these different things, I and. Mean, I, I was asked in an interview recently, and this is a whole nother topic. But what are, what's one of the most what's proudest things you've ever done in your career? And I said, it's kind of a tough question, but I said I was a, I was a, I've been able to assimilate or, or not be a chameleon, but serve a different culture and sport culture and international culture wherever I've been. So whether that was in in rugby in England, whether that's professional baseball, those all the cultures within that the latin communities included though that's the navy seals being able to morph into those and serve those different places anyway so that's that's one thing that the nsca i don't know if they teach you know i'll be honest in yeah. their certifications it's very important
1: yeah yeah it just goes back to how we opened up the conversation just with the culture behind mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. and just and just spending more time looking there i think it's it's so important um mm-hmm. i did so a couple of things I wanted to get into one, I guess the mimicry yeah. piece, because I, I do think mm-hmm. it is interesting. I, we look at a lot of coaching as, mm-hmm. all right, here's the workout card or, you know, here's the, mm-hmm. here's the training yeah. drills. Here's the today and and go, you know, versus, mm-hmm. I, you know, on, at what, you know, in terms of your mentorship of coaches or your thought process. And, mm-hmm. and I guess for me, like the mimicry, I know you n- dance naturally comes to you. I'm sure there's a lot of coaches <laughs> who'd be like, I'm not dance training my group and leading because if people watch you training athletes they see you like it's a ladder and they see you going through the ladder because you're feeling you know what the next thing is and everyone follows you and i've been through that process with you and i've really enjoyed it and it's fun and then you'll have people like Mm. facing each other on the ladder and doing mimicry based drills building on what you just did and then going off into a sprint and it all builds in layers Mm. and so for me like i mean my mimicry like even in track like i fundamentally enjoy like, all right, hey, we're going to do this high jump and let's do this series of skips and then go jump. This series of bounds, then go jump. And here's what the rhythm should look like. And it, mm-hmm. when I demonstrate it first and then have athletes do it, it helps me feel connected mm-hmm. to the practice. And right. so, But then, then again, you could also be a mimicry facilitator. Hey, here, we're going to do these small-sided games and you're facilitating mimicry. Mm-hmm. So, do you have any thoughts on like for di- different uh, interns you've worked with? Uh, what you've yeah. tried to communicate to them, and what they should be capable of doing. Any thoughts well, well, on that?
0: Well, yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, for, first and foremost is I the purposely withholding directive speech. I think is a huge is a huge um, part of the the teaching, um, you know, teaching people whether it's a coach or an athlete. So what I, what I try to do with my with my coaches, you know, I, at this point. 10 years into, a, well, 11 years into a private business and having a lot of interns who are now, I mean, at least in baseball, I have three or four or five working at, at pretty high positions in, um, in, in professional baseball, but in, in different, different areas, you know, my developing coaches is learning to coach without saying anything. So that's a, that's demonstrating things, but also getting an athlete to understand and anticipate what, what the point is faster than just doing the drill itself. Because often I let them interpret things and even they'll, they'll change this drill through their interpretation. But as long as the principles there, I, I let them go with that because that's the last thing I want to do is have them come into a, into a fear situation where I have to memorize something else today. And Uh, So that's a, that's a big one coaching without saying anything. Mm. And it's frustrating a lot of times for people, especially you'll have a lot of um, interns who the reason they want to do an internship is because they're very, you know, uh, they're taking, they're being assertive and they want to learn things and they want to have a formula to, to, to learn. And that's why they're learning from you. But you know, it's like kind of the Yoda, like withholding information on purpose for Luke. And Luke's super frustrated. Then he goes, gets his hand cut off. But there's a point of like a learning a learning pace that you want to withhold, and how to do that with and how to know how to do that with each, with each individual and their learning styles is really is imperative. Because then you'll never teach another coach how to do that if you just hand them the format, you know. And um, yeah, so that's one, that's a biggest thing for me is, is learn how to learn show by your body doing things. Or leading them to understand the point without even, sometimes I'll, I won't say anything and I won't do any, like do anything. I'll just create the environment around them for them to really understand it. And probably that's looking at somebody who's been there before. And then they'll mimic that athlete who knows the drill and what I want, but it accelerates the learning motor skill and, and the cognitive piece so, so much faster. Yeah, Yeah, but it's frustrating and then often you lose some people because they just want it now well they want a formula and say sorry this isn't the environment for you so i mean i don't say that per se it just kind of happens naturally so i want people to be a little bit frustrated Uh, it just beats the road it kind of d d anyway i've gone yeah
1: no i i that the way you just said there too that little bit frustrated that is so key because i think Uh, what is often thought of as good coaching I just have in my head there was this one video going around it's like this is how you coach up a squat and this is like I don't know Mm -hmm. a year ago and this guy (laughs) this coach told this athlete like two minutes of squat cues and I'm like man they talk about like you know I guess like an empty cup versus a full cup like that that athlete's cup of instruction had been overflowed about 20 times (laughs) versus like like going back to what we said like let's just say how free play and you're learning, mm-hmm. playing your game, soccer, basketball, whatever, kind of in the street and you're just mimicking the older kids. The older kid that you're trying to mimic or the star yeah. on TV didn't go tell you. <laughs> they didn't give right. verbal instructions with that. And so, it's like mm-hmm. your cup is more full with just that natural mimicry and that that's not something I think we talk about a lot from instructing and in the role of the, the coach there. It's, I'm even thinking of myself, like, you know, I'm like, hey, we're going to do this skip into the curve and jump. I yeah. just, just <laughs> coach just went and did it. I guess I got to do well, it too. Yeah. You know, there's a different so feel with that happening. Right.
0: So what, what you're teaching kids is to, to be
1: highly aware
0: of other, of, of the cultural surroundings, the, all the, all the, the external factors to go into the, in, in appraising the situation to be able to a accept the challenge and the growth opportunity versus it's a threat and then shift into mimicry mode from either an older kid who's done it or a, often a younger kid who's done it in the same building or an adult but my my job in and is to create an environment that that's that happens very quickly and and then it goes it goes back into the context okay what is the role of a strength coach is it to deliver, is it to manage a weight room? Is it to to deliver a program? Is it to coach it's becoming less and less to coach movement, I hate to say. Especially when like Olympic lifting's not as you know prevalent. No, I wouldn't say prevalent, but you know, uh, when, when, when the machines and the AI and the tech is gonna be delivering all these things. Or the you know, or you're going to get all this mm-hmm. feedback with ki- coaches or k- kids can automate these things. So our jobs are really to create how fast can kids do these two things: challenge and mimic. Yeah, you know, accept, accept challenge, appraise, and then mimic.
1: Yeah, those are. Things and what the cool
0: part, and the the outcomes are going to be. That's where the injury prevention comes. Let's not get stronger or have greater, you know rates of you know concentric force, which is typically what we measure, or it's not even going to be the rates of eccentric hmm. loading. It's going to be how quick can we adapt, accept, and change, you yeah. know? And then it's like the whole conversation of te- elite tennis players, and that's where the hours and hours and hours and hours come of practicing that, not necessarily the skill itself. And then you can anticipate changes, like you know the old tennis player returning a serve, they're not really thinking about that. Or, or you know, it, injury prevention becomes anticip involuntary anticipating of, of changes of force. I look at the Achilles, look at the Super Bowl Achilles example. It is r- abstract, but it's a metaphor. I'm not, I'm not trying to say what caused the Achilles rupture with the linebacker, I forgot his name, the Niners. But to me, he was going on the field, the get back coach said, "Stay," and he had like this application of force that wasn't anticipated, and like that there was a timing that wasn't practiced. So we, we you know, I, that's a different subject, but kind of like to me is a metaphor for like we break when we're when we do things that aren't anticipated. <laughs> you know? So we're training the ability to, to handle variables and not be tense at the wrong times, but psychologically as well. So we're creating robust athletes mentally and physically, but a lot of times that doesn't play. And that's why I pre- pretty much had to do my own gym because that doesn't play in a, in most professional settings. It doesn't play when you interview they say, what's your philosophies. You talk about that. They want to say, I want, I can scale till I can scale the thing for kingdom come because really we, we have cheap labor sources and we're just going to process bodies. And I that think that's probably in the military
1: as well. Definitely in baseball.
0: Yeah, that's that's a deeper. Yeah, sorry, that's a different can of worms. Yeah,
1: yeah. The the mimicry and challenge. Again, just back to like, I guess to me it goes just back to that pickup basketball game to get ready to Mm. dunk. Like the things that make us Mm. human. You know, it's the things that that there's and you know to separate out. Well, what what can technology and data or even also you know the the part of the strength program that is like, all right, hey, here's your four sets of five. You know, like that that Mm -hmm. part that's more it's like you just know this part is there and then the human part is solving is going through that problem that problem that's yeah that's there you know that... uh,
0: can i can i i mean yeah, i can ahead. segue to the tech piece but
1: uh i did have one other uh, part actually let's get to the tech piece um before we get there can we talk about upbeats and downbeats uh you yeah, mentioned yeah, that yeah, yeah. And, and like because I, I i had sent you a um a little youtube link it was like mm-hmm. how does syncopation work and i'm like It's like, Mm -hmm. Paul's been on this for years, you know? I'm just like learning it today. I'm like, whoa, this is really cool. (laughs) But yeah, tell me Mm -hmm. a little bit about what more of what you think about the upbeats and downbeats and what it means. Even like basketball, I will just say quickly too, the part I liked is like the basketball, it's like you're doing some moves, then downbeat, try to go past the defender, Mm -hmm. you know? like, And it just feels natural, but training, it's just like downbeat, downbeat, downbeat (laughs) or whatever. Uh, Tell me a little bit more about your, um, yeah, syncopation, music. And how that upbeats and downbeats fit into how your the flow of movement and physical training works for you,
0: right? So, we're, we're talking. You know, I, 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 it's kind of funny because when I I, I I attribute a lot of this to living in Europe like 20 years ago, and never heard have ne, never even heard house music before, and it was just really interesting type of music for me. And I would go to these like dance clubs and we were coming from you know you had 90s rap and things like that uh but never hear, having heard house music and looking at like I started looking at rhythm and associating you know then I've never even seen soccer before and then going to like you know Barcelona the soccer games this mass there's kind of all these cultural and musical things hit me and in and in understanding like there's a a corporate vibe that happens <laughs> uh in with a DJ, and it goes for hours, and people just lose. I mean, maybe the drugs, but it's I was doing it without drugs. Oh, man, I was like, man, I've been like dancing like in this rhythmic beats, but forever. I was great. I mean, whether it was four in the morning or not, I, I was just, like really fascinated by the, the music. Um, but uh, when I started to, to feel like my body felt different dancing in that regard and like learning how to handle force and like where they were accentuating the, the, the beats. And what we we're talking about the other day was where, where these DJs were putting like little, little variances on, uh, on the rhythm and the beats themselves. And <laughs> a lot of it was on the down, on the downbeat part that I'd never really thought about. Because I think American cult context, we're always thinking about power outputs and like the up the upbeats, and I'm and I'm not a music major or anything like that, but I just felt like there was a different nuance in with house music itself, and that's where I would start to lace my warm up music. And you know, if you're doing deadlifts that day, then you turn to heavy metal or something like that. But it's it's my warm ups were always on focusing on accepting the force in a down da- in the down phase. And then being able to redistribute, and then you can add little variations of ro- rotation or whatever. Yeah. On it. That's, that's to me, it's kind of a weird like origin, um, where I was like, oh, this is like different music and there's different, um, you know, going back to dance in a corporate setting. And then you go to Ibiza and these other places, and this is kind of before all these, honestly, it, it was strictly Euro vibes, you know, <laughs> um, so like, that, that affected me in a different way. And then I, I laced flywheel stuff on top of that, which the flywheel masters were coming out of Spain and um, you know Sweden. But the, the real pratish- practitioners who put it into play with these big soccer teams were, were the Spanish. And um, I flew down when I was living in London and started working with some who are now my mentors and my PhD. But they uh, they were really understanding how to, and it wasn't a barbell culture, so they're like, "How do you get you know messy to <laughs> do weight training?" It maybe not. Do, he's probably not going to do power cleans. Uh, so learning from those guys, and then like, oh, this really kind of matches a, a, you know back to the whole original point, like a cultural corporate dance situation. And that's that through it really sparked my my interests. So the, that through that mo- medium of music, I, I was able to kind of see all these downbeats and then whether it's the Russian dancing or anything it's kind of like oh start to decode these things and and how do you train so it's like okay one of my major philosophies is and and even we align on it I think is like whether it's squatty running or whatever it's like optimizing elastic you know energy through accepting the ground in different ways and yeah And that creates resiliency, that creates efficient movement, running economy, so to speak, movement economy. And ultimately, looking at energy systems via this whole route of downbeat, down, you know, accepting force. So that's a long explanation, but I think house music is part of that. Europe is a part of that.
1: That makes perfect sense to me with, it's almost like... um your roots as a a coach and the tools in your toolkit. I remember one of the first um, workouts that I did with you, we just went through a bunch of, you could say, basic sprint drills, but you had taken them to like, if you found a certain groove with the music, you would do that drill with the music. And now I realize that a lot of times that drill had a downbeat to it. And one drill, not a sprint drill per se. Actually, it's funny because I have these in my program now, uh, online program. I call them cater twists. (laughs) I don't know (laughs) if you like that or not. I call them cater twists because if people have seen you do this, it's like you're doing a ski, like you're skiing, like side to side. You'll do like three skis side to side Mm. with the knees together. And then on the fourth one, the downbeat, you go down into a squat. And then you go back up Mm. to like the easy ones at the top. Or it's agility. You know, just, hey, move your feet side to side. One, two, three. Downbeat, squat down. And there's just something that's inherently athletic. It yeah. feels good to do that. I think it's good to do things that feel good, that feel athletic. And I remember
0: there's, it- with the, uh, there's natural. I'll, I'll cut you off real quickly and add to that. There's, but there's natural cycles that are within those. I don't think they're. The think they just naturally come out. Yeah. It, that are and then if you mirror, if you match that to musical theory, like the fourth count and things like that or like even like a tempos with swinging it all relates so there's musical theory within swing patterns within footwork patterns with stored energy in general and how eccentric concentric phases are you know you know arranged
1: yeah sorry i know that's all good i i was even thinking too about how and you had said something about the four beat a long time ago mm-hmm. that, that that's, and, and I, in this one video I was watching, was saying like a funk in a funk rhythm, mm-hmm. like the first beat of the four is like the one that's really accentuated. And I was thinking about like, I don't think it's a mistake. And I guess this is just one of many patterns mm-hmm. you could do, but like in a Russian lunge, traditionally you do three little bounces and then one big jump or oscillatory mm-hmm. training. I think one of the main ways people do it is three oscillations and then one big movement. And there's other ways you can do it. But it's like, that's what just kind of feels good. I Even there was one day, mm. I certainly this was inspired by you, but like I was doing, like I had some my headphones in, I was doing a warrant mm. for sprinting. I was going, uh, doing some work on my hill and I was just doing single leg bounces. Mm. And then on every, however many beats I would do drop into a skater squat, you know, like and then bounce back up again. And, and that was well before the video. And I think a lot of that was, again, your your influence on me, but I well, think- Well, look, yeah. look at track, look at
0: track, look at a high jumper. You're a high jumper. Is there, I mean, obviously this, these things are laid out Or a triple jumper. There's like an approach of storing of energy and a an natural expression point. Okay. And I don't, you know, maybe, maybe I'm overreaching my lane here or something, but you can teach that. I'm sure there's like very scientific, you got to put your foot here. Here's your foot placements. But I bet if you just teach a random guy, there's like a, there's an approach, bing, bing, bing. And then there's like a natural time where he's like, I have to express this in, the, in a vertical plane plane or 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 whatever so there's like or like you see a guy like stutter stepping getting ready for the big jump to dunk or something like that i think we can figure the the point is i think we can figure these things out yeah but are we giving kids the freedom to do that or do we hammer in right away like these are these steps you have to do to do a proper jump you know If if we can just give i think kids enough I, I think strength is important to be able to do these things. Often we coaches, I see skilled coaches trying to teach things and the kids can't even do them. Yeah. You know, sprint starts is a great one. It's like, let's have this really dramatic long extension point out of the blocks. But they don't have the strength to even do that to then do this foot, pl- these, these foot placement sorts. And then I, I, I was working with a college sprinter this uh, winter came in. Uh, a local back coach recommended because he knows I like, can train them and not, you know, and collaborate well, which is, which was beautiful. But, uh, he didn't have, he was trying he didn't have like a strength base to even do kind of what the coach is wanting him to do. Like this guy's, he had a scholarship in sprinting. It's, it's crazy. So we got to really coach to not only culture, but also where their strength, Yeah, like strengths are. And that, that that might change the whole step order or how much we integrate, let them be creative mm-hmm. in general. So I, I digress. I,
1: sorry. No, that's, that's a, that's a good point. And hey, that. So I think that could lead into the last question. You had an mm-hmm. awesome post. I'll put this in the mm-hmm. show notes of the episode, <laughs> but the, the Rocky, Rocky needs Drago in the sense of, mm-hmm. and I think this is a good one to kind of close out in, you know, mm-hmm. we talked a lot about the creativity and the mimicry, the, like the very human side of things, but then, you know, the rise of AI and, you know, it's not inconceivable, right, that in just even a few years as the computing power doubles or the AI doubles rapidly, like you could just say, hey, I want this program. Boom, it's going to spit it out for you. Mm. Maybe there's a camera that watches you and gives you feedback. And <laughs> what's your mm. what's your take on what would the ideal world be and how do we do use technology? Mm-hmm. Because I know you have a lot of technology mm-hmm. and always really have in your process that, uh, and I think people wouldn't outright think that, Oh, it's just this, here's this creative coach who uses all this dancing. And, but no, you yeah. have all that, like all these tech pieces and data feedback pieces. Yeah. Tell me how you use those.
0: Well, my mission has always been to have enough tech knowledge, well, enough technical uh, feedback points and even, uh, ways to induce these these necessary forces, and whatnot, to, to gain this beautiful, like, elastic, harmonizing. Whether you know, it's vibration, flywheel, m- motorized, mechanized, mm-hmm. magnetized—all. <laughs> so <it's, laughs> the it's list like, ha- gets longer.
1: Enough,
0: yeah, have all these tools so I can just be me and be a coach. I can see things, make some assessments, but do it in in an or in organic context that's highly relational mm. um so right now I have a gym and I pretty much I can run it within a five thousand to ten thousand square foot um, space where the technology the programming parameters do enough of the work in the strength development I mean obviously people need to have okay like if it, if you If you're having a velocity-based training system that's AI-driven, that's pre-programmed, I mean, a kid has to be able to, or an athlete has to have some basic movement principle to squat, okay, Mm -hmm. if that's the exercise of the day. But other than that, you know, um, my goal is always to have a a smart gym where I can get back to coaching and not be a weight room monitor or um, just a rah-rah guy, but really, really... to create the creative rhetoric of challenge and, and bring out the mimicry process. And that, that's, my, that's been my goal. So right now, I'm, I'm getting closer to having that smart gym um, where I can get, I can every machine, every, every station or exercise is putting data, you're collecting the data, it's making sense of the data, it's giving the AI piece to adjust and the prescription. Of the exercise and all I really have to do is say, okay, well, this, you know, what's, what's the theme of the day? And the kids can create within that. We're not the, I don't to say kids. I mean, shoot, grown men, people can create within that. And I can be a facilitator and a guide almost just like a DJ. I, I envision my, myself like almost like that. Like you're creating Setting the table for people to have be automated within them, and the tech just collects and guides a little bit. Mm.
1: Yeah, I I think uh, I want to go to something just quickly. You said in that mm. Instagram post, I thought was so good. Mm. Isn't that like because it fits with this? With like mm. how much tech, mm. how much data is that? That the whole like biohacking, like data led health approach. The you said the margins for improvement there are so low compared to. Like the natural mode, which is basically just training, playing, mimicking culture in nature, like our natural state. Um, if you want to expand on that at all, because I yep. think that was really, really yeah, good
0: Yeah, piece. well, ma- nature provides that naturally, right? So I was just like doing like broad jumps up up snow and like I was having to like adjust for the, the surface. So the snow and I, skiing is huge. Like ev- the snow conditions changed by the hour and you're having to adjust the ice the powder whatever temperature adjustment in in or you know training you're training outside you're hearing things you're seeing things there's different services. there's different temperatures there's different light and like i think it's it's so important there's and auster- in, in austerity with one barbell in in with a in a garage with just logs everywhere and whatever like all the other senses come alive right so that it, that's in contrast to a gym that I'm running and developing right now, where there's all these the senses are like in different different ways. Like there's so much feedback that's being done for you. In in I think each because if you're only in the super high tech environment where everything's autom- automated, and you're getting a lot of feedbacks and from, from, you know all the data, all that sort of thing you miss out on the nature and and if you're only doing the natural element, then you're missing out on the other feedback. So I'm not explaining that well, but I think one needs the other and you have to assess kids now are only going to be in this tech world. You know, we, we came from your backyard, jumping, trying to touch a tree branch, right? And you have to almost understand where, kids are culturally coming from in that in that context how much have they trained by themselves out in nature Mm. you know running up hills on your own automated by yourself your own personal willpower and motivation doing right that's going to become less and less trying to touch tree branches off of you know Mm. the tree branch joel smith tree branch touch jump protocol (laughs) I. I, I, my training memories of coming running up this one street outside my house, you know, I didn't need anybody to do that. And, and or, you know, I was blessed to go to division two UC Davis where we didn't have a strength coach. He was like the re- running back coach who was also like top PE or whatever. Yeah. It was weird. You know, we had some Xerox copy of the Rams 1984, like strength program. <laughs> it's like, nice. We had to run. That's what I knew, like okay, being a strength conditioning coach is my thing is we, we kind of like automated ourselves to train we found these different paths but kids are going to have less and less of that yeah um so we need to integrate the natural pieces and whether it's a training camps and that that's where it was great in london we go to we go to poland some training camp out in the forests of poland where you showed a video these guys doing all this like i think it was the I don't know if it was the jumpers yeah. or yeah, weightlifters. weightlifters no. Yeah, yeah. So I I lifted in that weightlifting hall where those guys trained. Nice. In an old Soviet Soviet installation, we would fly there as a team to use our cryotherapy chamber, which was like you could fit six guys in. It was it was insane. And uh, yeah, so that that like you would go in the forest. That's the role of these training camps in Europe. You really understand that, like. They go to these forest installations. I took the rugby team to some mountain top in Spain where that's we got snowed in. And, but you just have all these different natural natural elements. You need that. You need you need that to invoke a psychological challenge, to have mimicry of nature as well. Feeling touching different surfaces, being scared. You know, I'll go run at dusk. And by my house, there's mountain lines, and I'm like, okay. I bring a knife for my dog, but you know, I want to like, if I'm like, there's my mountain lions and coyotes. Like I, I'm going to run different. There's a different response at dusk to that challenge and and whatnot. So I hugely essential. And and I'm going to start doing training camps probably up in, uh, up in Tahoe on the quarterly or at my, at my facility. There's there's a beach right across the street. So with the super tech world I'm in, I essentially, you have to ground yourself with these different natural elements. And I think, unfortunately, it's becoming so like a holistic grounding, you know, unfortunately, the the recovery uh, phenomenon of ice baths and saunas and all these things, they're so good, but they're, they're taking the place of just the natural experience so much so that it's becoming just like footwork ladders, like things that were well intended now are becoming so formulaic. That they're losing the you're losing the cognitive and <clears throat> motor learning and all the like all the adaptations physically, you know. In and, and the last uh, Huberman Goggins podcast, talking about the, the part of the brain that is the willpower part, you know, yeah. like they're basically saying like, okay, if you're not if, if if doing an ice bath isn't a big deal to you, then you're not going to get the benefit of of doing something that's stressful or like that you don't want to do you're not going to grow the willpower part of your brain because it's like it's just so normal so if ice baths were so normal like jumping in the ocean is no big deal so i want to keep some of these things sacred
1: yeah i, I hear you man i mean that I remember back before I got into ice baths. Mm-hmm. I my reference point is, point is almost swimming in the ocean with you after a workout. You know, there's yeah. like there's like waves and like you're moving around. You know, the original right yeah. or the finding a cold or finding a like cold a stream, stream. You know, find a cold stream in nature. Oh. And there's a little journey to it. You know that that story. Well,
0: behind it. yeah, I mean, I could tell like the experiment we did with minor league baseball team when I was in Salt Lake City. We would go to the coldest stream and it was sub 40 degrees most of the season. And we'd have pitchers, a group of us organically would go, and then we you, you know your core temperature would take so long to get up and like who performed well at practice of the game and their bullpens are in the games and it was re- it was evident guys were yeah. doing great like having performance knock on effects, but it was not just the cold it was the whole adventure yeah. hero's quest situation and getting them out of uh their comfort zone so uh, I a Drago, Rocky, it just encapsulates yeah. both. It's like you need both environments. I think you need clinical, efficient training environments, but you also need places where you can mimic nature and, and, and feel danger and have that challenge in other ways too. And you need both. You need both. So that's why when I go, I, my best training is not in this environment because I'm in this environment all the time. So you have to gauge. Your cultural context, where you're at, most providing stimulus outside of that.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great place to leave off on. um Yeah, we touched on some great stuff today, Paul. It's just it's uh, really great to get inside your mind of how to put this together. In the sense, I, I think in a world where we just look at, hey, give me three tips. You know, <laughs> give me the order well, in three distinctive. Well, what, you know, so it's it's really great to have these conversations.
0: Well, I, I want to make sure that we have the 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 big point for me. Okay, big point for me is that with organizational sport or performance in general, you can look military, professional baseball, youth development. Okay, is you know what is the role of the strength coach anymore? What are they really looking for when you go get get, you try to get a job, or even like when you if you get funding for the person who was going to build your super gym? Like, what are they really looking for, you know? And how can we build systems? And maybe this is another conversation, part Mm -hmm. two, is how do you build a system for organization that incorporates these creative pathways that ultimately lead to robust athletes? And that's the real key for injury prevention, I believe, is building these anticipatory, downbeat, ready athletes, Mm -hmm. you know, that that can handle changes and variations and that but you have to teach that, you know? And, it, and before I was just like, Oh, you got to do more versatile or or, or K box or flywheel training to do that. But no, you it's, it's through the course of this conversation. Really. I'm, I'm even understanding more. It's, it's the rhetoric and the entirety of the program from when you walk in, no matter what your tools are, you know, so those are great tools to build rhythmic uh, accepting of force. I think the, they're the best. And it's great because you can have data or not with them, but the real issue is like, what's that first fifteen minutes as a coach? Is it a throwaway foam roll sesh and uh, dynamic warm up that they've memorized that they're getting nothing out of, or is it the best teaching point of the whole day? You know, no I think it's the latter. It's <laughs> it's the, the latter. It's the haka. It's the challenge. It's the mimicry. It's the response, whatever side of it, of, of the line you're on. Yeah. You know, it's the, it's the beauty of it. It's the beauty of training is we're reproducing environments that you're going to see in, in game, you know, that's what, that's what it's about.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. we well, love it. Um, well, thank you again, Paul. Hey, it was awesome getting together, being able to do this podcast. So I appreciate it, man.
0: Uh, yeah, I thank you so much. Appreciate you.
1: Thanks for tuning in to another episode. I appreciate you. And if you enjoy the show, you can leave it a rating or review on Spotify, iTunes, whatever you are listening on. I would absolutely appreciate that. And I will see you next week. Have
0: a good one.